Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick. While John Power, the current president of Engineers Ireland, has definitive ideas on how the country could address its existing energy problems, and he joins me now to share his thoughts. John, you commenced your tenure as the president of Engineers Ireland earlier this year, but first, I'd like to get an insight into your own career. Good morning, Carl, and nice to be with you. Well, Carl, I, I'm, I'm an engineer, qualified in 1975 in UCD, and, and thankfully I can look back on my career now for 47, 48 years later, with, with a great degree of satisfaction. I've had, a, I've had some very, very rich experiences as, as an engineer, rich and varied experiences, which I think makes it all the better. And, and I, I think that the one thing I would say about engineering is that as a primary degree, there's probably no better in that it opens up so many opportunities for people. And, and uh, I've been lucky in that I worked overseas for the first number of years with GE in the States and South America. Then I came back and I joined the ESB for 30 years, a wonderful company. Um, finished there in 2007 and became the chief executive of the Institution of Engineers for eight years. And then I went on to do uh, executive coaching in the Smurfit Business School. And I've been, I've been uh, coaching now for the last uh, four or five years. And, and that's most enjoyable. So my career has been has been varied, um, but the one thing I've always tried to do is I've tried to step outside my own comfort zone on a regular basis because I think it adds so much, it adds you know diversity, enjoyment, challenge, excitement to a career, and after all, we've only got one chance at it. Spending 30 years working for the ESB must have been fascinating also. You worked across a lot of different departments in the ESB. So how would you describe the changes which occurred in that industry over that period? I was very lucky to get the opportunity uh, within the ESB, um, partly because it was the kind of company that it is. It gives people opportunity to, 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 to um, uh, explore new operations and new avenues, uh, but also because I probably wanted to do it myself. I wanted to, 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 to challenge myself on a regular basis to see if I could uh, just contribute a little bit more maybe in areas where traditionally maybe engineers might not have been involved. Um, so I, I, I was involved in human resource management. That's clearly I was involved in the engineering side. Um, I was also involved in uh, corporate affairs. I spent some time with ESB International and um, and that was a fascinating time because I was involved in managing six separate companies and of which two had been two were sold in my time in charge. And you know what what organization might give an engineer those opportunities and for example to sell two companies um, as part of his role overall so I, I would say that the ESB was, was, was a fabulous experience for me. Uh, the changes certainly over the years were, were very interesting um, you know it, it quite, quite clearly the size of the organization diminished quite considerably the introduction of, of contractors to do a lot of the work was very very important for us um, but most important of all I would say was that the, the constant uh, attention to ensuring that customers around the country were 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 properly treated, and and I think that over the years, um, the quality of service in ESB over that thirty years improved out of all proportion. You know, at, at, when I joined in 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 nineteen seventy eight, um, it was a different time to what it is now, um, and and there was an element maybe at that stage of. Um, the ESB was in total control of the electricity system in the country. When I left it, it was an entirely different world altogether. But having said all that, I would say the ESB plays, plays an enormously important role uh, in the welfare of what has gone on over the last 
whatever it is since 1927 uh, of the country and, and, and also maybe has a very, very big role to play in the future. And John, I also think ESB International is a great example of a semi-state body that was very successful globally. Absolutely. ESB International has operated in something of the order of well over 100 different countries, um, providing a hugely valuable service. Um, now, quite clearly, it was, it was a profitable, well-run, uh, essentially the closest thing would ever get to a private company within a public organisation. But it was very, very well-run, as indeed ESB was. Um, but also, we brought a, a huge amount of the expertise that was in the ESB. Um, and by virtue of the fact that we were a fully integrated company, in other words, generation, transmission, distribution, supply, metering, billing, the whole lot, um, we could bring that expertise to a lot of other countries around the world. We could also bring training and development to an awful lot of, of, of countries. Um, we worked right you know, through Africa, Asia, um, the, the, the old Soviet bloc countries, uh, indeed in some of the Soviet countries, uh, the, the, um, um, uh, Russia, uh, uh, Ukraine, uh, Georgia, those countries, um, and a lot of other countries also. We, we ran the electricity grid in, in the state of, of Alberta in, 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 in Canada. Uh, one would never have thought about that. So the, ES, the ESBI was a very successful company, very well um, uh, uh, respected uh, wherever we went. And, and, and I suppose maybe a, a part of that too, Carl, would be a little bit of the Irish kind of style. You know, we didn't come in and speak down to people. We worked with people um, and we, we tried to give them the benefit of the expertise that we had in a way that didn't suggest in any way that, you know, that we were superior or anything to them. We worked with them and, as a result, became very, very successful. And, John, in recent years, you've been utilising your accreditation from the European Mentoring and Coaching Council. Talk us through the clients that you work with and the process that you bring them through. That's been a very uh, rewarding and enriching process also, Carol. Um, and I, I, I deliberately decided to go back to college immediately. I finished with the Institution of Engineers as Chief Executive um, to, to secure... Uh, qualification in, in executive coaching. Um, it, when it says executive coaching, it's coaching to, to, to anybody who really wishes to analyze where they are in their careers at the moment. Um, they may not be too happy with it. They may be delighted. But there's always an opportunity to change and maybe uh, explore, explore new, new opportunities. So I work with people to uh, clearly men and women of all uh, professions um, I, I've had accountants, lawyers, doctors, clearly engineers, scientists, um, uh, and, and, and the rest of them, the physiotherapists, the whole lot. Um, essentially, trying to help people understand where they are with their career and trying to get them to see what opportunities there might be out there for them if they were prepared to change. The single biggest issue with people um, in terms of career management is asking themselves, why? Why do they want to change? Why do they want to do this? Why do they want to do that? And if they can reconcile that why question, they're a long way along the road to making whatever change they want to make. Earlier this year, you began your tenure as president of Engineers Ireland. It's a massive organisation. Remind us about Engineers Ireland, what you do, and the extent of your membership base. We must be one of the oldest organisations in the country, founded in 
1835. So we were around for quite some time, about 187 years. Now, clearly, it had had many manifestations in the meantime. Um, the present one is, is, is Engineers Ireland. And essentially, we're the, we're the body representing the, the, the professional engineers in the country, those who have, have, have qualified um, through college with level 7 and level 8 degrees. We also have some technician members, and they're very, very welcome, and indeed a growing body of members in that space. But uh, essentially, we, we, we represent the engineering profession um, in terms of um, the most important area we actually deal with is standards. We, 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 we work to ensure that the standards of the engineering um, that, is, that is done by our members is of the highest quality, um, is verifiable internationally. But the organisation itself, Engineers Ireland, we, we, we're, we're the, the voice of engineering in the country. We, we advocate for engineering. We're, we're, we're very strong <clears throat> of the view that if Carl Fitzpatrick employs an engineer to do particular work for him, that that engineer is fully qualified, is accredited, and has the competence to do whatever he's supposed to do. Every one of our members signs up to a code of ethics every year uh, when they pay their subscription. And, and uh, it's very important in our perspective that we maintain those standards. And, um, you know, we train, we, we, we have a very, very strong um, continuing professional development space. Um, and we've, of the order of 25,000 members at the moment, about 19,000 paying and about 6,000 students. But we intend to, to grow that by about 5,000 over the next four or five years. And John, what's top of your agenda for your tenure as president this year? I suppose um, I, I would probably have a number of agenda items, but probably most of all, the biggest issue I think facing us as a country and maybe as an organisation is that we make an impact. Engineers are evidence-based people. We're problem solvers. And we would love to be able to sit down and talk with the people who make the decisions, largely the politicians, convince them of the merits of our arguments, which are, as I say, all evidence-based, and and divorce the the topic for a moment from the politics and just get them to understand these are the facts, this is the way things are at the moment, and if we don't do X, Y, and Z, well, we're not going to change. So I suppose really the biggest challenge that we have and the biggest area where I would love to contribute uh, this year is to get the opportunity for Engineers Ireland to make an impact in terms of the decision-making for our future direction in terms of, in particular, the energy space at the moment, uh, but also in the housing space, that there's a big, big problem we have with housing, and all of the other areas where engineers impact. So if you had the ear of the Minister for Energy, Eamon Ryan, today, what would you be saying to him? There's probably lots of things I'd be saying to him. And, 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 you know, I think that we would both have a reasonable understanding of what the issues are out there at the moment. Um, but I think, I think the, the, the critical one for us, Carol, I think, is that, you know, we, 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 we're in an energy dilemma at the minute. Um, it's, it's a demand-supply issue. Um, we, we, have, we have electricity generated by coal, oil, gas, um, interconnectors, uh, renewables and hydro. And then we have the demand side, the, 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 the factories and, and, and the, the domestic houses and the small businesses who need to be supplied with electricity. Now, we need to satisfy that equation in terms of providing the electricity to those who need it. 
we, we do wish to move away from the, 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 the fossil fuels. There's no doubt about that. The first one that we should move away from is coal because it's the dirtiest of them all. Um, and then we need to move away from oil. Um, and, and ultimately, uh, we need to move away from gas. But we can't move away from gas now. We've got to understand that we're going to need a backup for the renewables that we're going to install over the next X number of years uh, in, the, uh, in the event of this, this is the offshore wind and the onshore wind. When the wind doesn't blow, on the coldest days of the year here, the wind doesn't blow. And they're the d- days when the demand is the highest. In that scenario, we need a backup for the renewables. So we have to have a, a gas. In my opinion, gas is the, is the one f- uh, fossil fuel that's, that's, that's it's the most acceptable of the fossil fuels, let's put it that way. So we need, to, we need to ensure that we have a gas supply. And we're going to need this for quite a number of years to come. Um, some would suggest we're probably going to need it for, you know, perhaps up to 40 years. Um, now, that's, that might be a bit much. It might not be a bit much. Given the, the speed at which things happen uh, in this country with infrastructure projects, there's every chance that 40 years is probably, um, it might not be an exaggeration, let's put it that way. But we, we're going to have to get our access to gas um, in some shape or form. And I don't think we have done enough in that space. And this is what I would be saying to Minister Ryan. I don't think we've done enough in that space. What should the government be doing now to access more gas? Well, I, I think the one that appears to me, and I'm speaking to John Power here, that we've got to start seriously considering uh, LNG facilities. Other countries um, uh, around Europe are doing it. Um, are they all wrong? I certainly don't think so. Um, we've got to do that, number one. And I think that you know, we, 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 we should certainly begin working on that immediately. Uh, and I think that the time for talking about this, time for setting up groups and subgroups and committees uh, and consultation periods. I think those days are gone. We're we're into the action phase at this stage, and I think we just need to get our act together and do something about it. So, John, the government has already made the decision to ban exploration of the Irish coast when it comes to gas. They have. And if somebody... I'm just not intelligent enough to understand the logic of that decision. It makes absolutely zero sense to me, to be honest with you. So I think that, you know, if, 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 we're, if, we, if we recognize the long-term issues here, and I think, I think short-termism is no good to us here. If you recognize the long-term issues, um, we're going to be faced with a requirement for gas for quite some time, like it or not. Banning exploration, not installing LNG in the country at the minute, makes absolutely no sense to me. Are you appealing to government here today to reverse that ban on gas exploration? I'm appealing to government to, to look at the reality of the situation, to, to, to look at the facts of the situation and, and uh, understand that we, clearly we don't want to go for any more coal, we don't want to go for any more oil. Um, we cannot get by, we will not be able to get by without a fossil fuel and the cleanest of all the fossil fuels is gas. So I'm saying, yes, let's start looking seriously at importing gas real quickly. There seems to be a level of optimism out there around offshore wind and how that can be a saving grace here for Ireland. Many think that we could be seeing the development of these offshore wind farms across the Irish Sea and around the Irish Sea over the next five, six, seven years. What are your thoughts on that, John? Well, I think offshore wind is something that um, you know is, is is very, very desirable. We've people, I'm sure, do know that the. The, the geographical area of Ireland is nine times the size of the land area. So we have a phenomenal resource around our coastline. 
and and you know that can be developed for 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 um uh, uh job creation uh, uh and also indeed energy independence uh, uh so and wealth creation indeed so i i think that you know we 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 should begin uh, again we need to begin to act faster in this whole space because there are other countries uh, uh scotland the uk are are well well advanced on us in this space and yet i think we've got the probably the finest facilities of all and we just need to begin to develop these as quickly as possible. We need to understand that some of the, 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 the planning regime that's there at the moment is not fit for purpose when it comes to securing the future energy needs of the country. Just to set the context in this, John, the Corrib gas field, how long did that take to develop from inception all the way through to operation? I think you raise a, a very interesting point there, Karen. I mentioned the planning process there and, and like, to the best of my knowledge, the, 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 the car of gas field took something of the order of 18 years. Now, everybody recognises the huge uh, um, uh, benefit the car of gas field has been to Ireland over the years, um, and indeed the Kinsale Head gas field. There have been two enormous resources for Ireland. But in terms of the carbon, I think the 18 years is something that's just, it's way out of all proportion. Um, these facilities, they should take no more than five, six years. And the construction time is, 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 not a little, is only a little bit shorter than that. So we just need to get our act together when it comes to the planning process. With a reliance on gas for up to 40 years, as you say, from here, should we be also considering the use of nuclear energy as part of the overall solution in the interim period? Well, nuclear is, 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 is a quite an, uh, an emotional issue for an awful lot of people. Um, and I think a lot of people's perception of nuclear has been, has been uh, established uh, by the events of, of Chernobyl in particular. But we've got to remember that Cher- Chernobyl happened in the old Soviet Union. Now, whatever one wishes to say about the new Soviet Union is, is a different matter altogether. But the standards in the old Soviet Union, in terms of, of um, uh, the safety standards, were nowhere near what's acceptable. However, having said all that, there are nuclear plants, there are modular nuclear plants being erected all around the world on a regular basis today. You know, you're talking about um, many countries in Europe, we're talking about Japan, we're talking about Canada, talking about other countries. Um, you know, they all can't be wrong. Like the, the capacity is there, the facilities are there. Um, the nuclear plants that are being erected today are very, very, very safe. So uh, I, I think we certainly need to have a mature, balanced discussion in that whole area. Well, if you've just tuned in, that was John Power, the President of Engineers Ireland. And it was great to hear John's fascinating take on how the energy crisis could be addressed. Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick. South-